a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 28. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. How you doing, Chrissy? I'm sleepy, but it's all right. We're talking about someone I like tonight, and I wrote a little profile, which you haven't even read, so that'll be fun. Well, then it'll be news to me. Yeah. I probably have some stuff you don't know about. So there. Have you been watching anything interesting this last week? Oh, not not really Britishy. No, I've watched a few things American. Go figure. What'd you watch? I watched on YouTube the Red Letter Media's review of Attack of the... What is the second Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Oh, I saw the first one that he did. That was yeah. hilarious. Fan of, well, he's just put up part two. So. I saw that. I didn't have time to watch it. I watched it, so... We'll do a link to it. It's, it's really very, worth watching if funny. you're a big Star Wars fan. I assume you've seen the second Doctor Who episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that, of course. Yeah, and I managed to catch uh, Ashes to Ashes last week as well. Downloaded a few th- audio things. There was a reunion on BBC Radio. I'm not sure which station, but it was of the Brides Had Revisited Gang. cast. Oh, wow. So Jeremy Irons and, uh, and Anthony, Anthony Andrews. Andrews. Diana Quick. Wow. And even Claire Bloom was there. And How many so years they, has it been? Is it 30 years? Nearly. Well, 30 since it was filmed. Wow. And they had the original Aloysius that they, let, they took out of a box. And they said someone paid 50,000 pounds for it at an auction. And it's been in a museum, but they had brought it in for Anthony Andrews to pick up for old time's sake. And then I, there was Douglas and the Doctor, which was about Douglas Adams. I wanted to hear that. Effect on Doctor Who. So I've listened to that as well. Oh, so cool. I do. I downloaded, but haven't yet listened to a new program that Adam Buxton's doing called Adam's Big Mixtape, where he's playing songs based on one theme every week. Oh, cool. This week's was songs by regular artists, not children's artists, but songs that children would really like that were fun or bouncy. So, and he's got special guests in there. He had Julian Barrett in one time. So looking forward to listening to that. Mrs. This is Julia Davis. Yes. yes. That was shocking. Julia and Julian. (laughs) I'm going to check out Glee tonight. I haven't seen it, but I kind of like musicals and Mm -hmm. so much hype about it. Like, well, I need to watch this show just to see what it's about since it is this big cultural thing. And whether it's American or British, I feel like I need to know what's going on so they don't have people on Saturday Night Live making jokes that I don't Um, get. I don't watch any of it. so (laughs) It's all British for me, I'm afraid, or YouTube occasionally. Channel 4 last week had their 100 Greatest Stand-Ups poll, mm-hmm. and once again, Billy Connolly topped the list like he did in 2007. Uh, rounding it out was uh, Richard Pryor, Ricky Gervais, Bill Hicks, Eddie Izzard, Peter Kay, Bill Bailey, Chris Rock, Michael McIntyre, and Victoria Wood. That's funny. Some of them are old standards, and some are definitely Michael McIntyre kind of flavor of the month, sort of. Suddenly become very, very hot stuff. Right. And Ricky Gervais, that's interesting, because he didn't do stand-up until he was already very, very popular. So his introductory stand-up concerts were big, massive, theater-filled events, rather than like almost every other comedian who, you know, started doing five minutes unpaid on a New Faces night and worked up from there, so... In fact, I read there was just a lot of annoyance about Ricky starting his stand-up level his startup career at that level. A lot of jealousy among Both, comedians. Yeah, well, there's a lo- there is a lot of jealousy, but they're also a little jealous that he was pretty good and did quite well, and people thought he was funny rather 
you know, just straight out of darn the, him for being funny. Right out of the gate, rather than having to. Um, I think I read years. Eddie Izzard. Yeah, he wrote that you have to do a hundred gigs before you find the you on stage. And I got the same feeling. We have to do a hundred podcasts before we find our voice here. That's true. <laughs> Oh, this week's episode, we have news, what's on British TV this week, what's running in the United States, some reviews of Desperate Romantics and Small Island, and a feature on comedian Alan Davis. I'm going to pronounce his name right from now on. There we go. Yep. The Welsh pronunciation of Davis is Davis. News. The BBC canceled the remake of Survivors this week, saying there will be no third season. The series starring Julie Graham and Patterson Joseph is currently finishing its run on BBC America. Two bad survivors. They thought for a while that people would be really interested in it because of the whole N1H1 flu thing. The ratings went down, and I guess they just figured they could do something better with something else. Which, what a shame. The original series lasted three years, back in the 70s. So guess what was the highest-rated non-news program on British TV last Monday? It was a party election broadcast, what we used to call party political broadcasts, by Labour called The Road Ahead, featuring Sean Bean and narrated by David Tennant. It got a total of 9 million viewers after being shown on all five terrestrial channels. Pay political advertising is banned in Britain. Instead, each party is allotted a certain amount of broadcasting time, which they may fill as they see fit. Now, Eddie Azard twittered this week that he's back in Britain because of the election, because he's interested in joining politics. In his, he says, 10 to 15 years, he will kill his career and become a politician. But Oh, really? Yeah. Excellent. He's, he's made the... And he also said that he's now raised because when he did his run around the UK, it was in the hundreds of thousands, like 300,000. But since the shows have run on TV, it's up to 1.8 million pounds that oh, good has for him. come in. So very good. Showtime orders 12 episodes of the Shameless remake. The executive producers are John Wells, formerly of ER, and one of my favorite shows from the 80s, China Beach. I love China Beach. And the original series writer, Paul Abbott. So he is oh. involved with the remake. Well, he's great. Uh, he we is like great. like him. William H. Macy will star in the part originally played by David Threlfall. So it's going to be set in Chicago. I was just going to ask that. Okay. And I think it's got a chance because Showtime, first off, you can have the language and the sex. Mm-hmm. And because it's a pay channel, they can take the patience to let people get used to the series you know, they don't have to can they're not all about ratings. They're basically they're all about what they call churn, which is do our subscribers pay for us next month or not? In mm-hmm. other words, do they like what they were we were giving yeah. them and they didn't switch over to HBO or stars or something like that? And if the answer is yes, then they consider that show to be successful. So with Paul Abbott doing it, you know, who knows? PBS has finally scheduled David Tennant's version of Hamlet, which was shown over Christmas last year in Britain. It will be part of great performances on most PBS stations on April 28th and a DVD release here in America a week later. Hey, well, good. Have you chance to see that yet? No. <laughs> I have. It's, uh, it's good. Very good. I have a little project going now, which is um, still in the great fun part of the project. It sure, I'm sure it'll become very boring later, but my mother had a lot of albums she wanted digitalized, so I've been playing around with that, and that ah. uses up chunks of my free time. Well, good for you. What's on TV for the week of April 14th to the 20th? On Wednesday, Carolyn Quentin's sitcom The Life of Riley continues on BBC One. Immediately following it on BBC One is the school-based drama serial Waterloo Road. A New Midsummer Murders is on ITV One with John Nettles in The Great and the Good. 
Thursday will be the next chance to see how interested Britons are in the election with the first ever televised debate between major parties' prime minister candidates. It'll be on ITV1 at 8.30 p.m. So not on all stations, then. No, they're going to swap between BBC okay. and, and ITV. Thursday, Have I Got News For You is on BBC One, followed by the sitcom Outnumbered. Last week's premiere of Outnumbered had a solid viewing figures and won its time slot. Channel 4 brings back You've Been Watching, a comedy panel show hosted by Charlie Brooker. Yeah, Charlie Brooker! Ryan is a huge fan of Screen Ripe, and so am I. I have not seen You've Been Watching it, have you? No. Okay, we need to check that out. I've seen Newswipe. Um, yes, Screen Wipe and Newswipe. I think next week we should do Charlie Brooker. Yeah. Okay. Although his p- appearance on Have I Got News for You is pretty muted. I don't know if you saw that, but... But when he's on his own, when he right. sits on his sofa, just yelling himself. at the TV... Yeah. Yeah, we'll have a lot of fun with Charlie Brooker next week. Don't even listen to the rest of the show. Just wait for next week. No, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How much effort have I... I... How very dare you. No. All right. Also on Thursday on BBC Three, Russell Howard's Good News continues... On Friday on BBC, a chance to see some Alan Davis. We'll be doing a feature on him later in the show in this compilation episode of QI with highlights from the season. And that'll that'll be the last one. I've been counting them, and that's number 18. Yes. But quite a season, 18 episodes, when I think they started with six or eight the first year. It's a popular show. Touch of Frost beat him in the time slot on Sunday night in uh, Jonathan Creek. So too bad for that. Jonathan Creek, the, the Sunday didn't get very good ratings at all, especially considered that the return to Jonathan Creek the previous year made over $10 million, which... Well, that was on Christmas, wasn't it? Right. Or Boxing Day? Mm-hmm. But this was on Easter, I believe, and yeah. um, it was under $6 million, I think. And you said you figured it out pretty easily? Or they no. cheated. They had introduced stuff at the last minute. They introduced stuff at the last minute. There weren't clues that you could kind of try to gather during the show it was like oh well obviously xyz when that hasn't been brought about at all and my problem was during the last full season the julie sawala season was Mm -hmm. i was starting to figure them out and if i can figure them out and i'm terrible at mysteries i'm like oh these run out of ideas there but we'll talk more about jonathan creek here in a few minutes when our do our feature on alan davis where were we friday the qi compilation is followed by the third episode this season of ashes to ashes as the references to Life on Mars and the late Sam Tyler mm-hmm. fly fast and furious. I'm going to sneak a surprise appearance by John Well, Simmons we've seen there. a lot of pictures of him. Because oh. in the very first episode, she kept asking about Sam Tyler. And they're like, mm, we, don't, we don't talk about Sam Tyler. Mutter, mutter, mutter. He died. Yeah, he's not on the show anymore. Mm-hmm. Mutter, mutter, mutter. And now suddenly they're bringing it back where she keeps bringing it up. And they keep putting it off of what mm. happened to him. And so I think they're heading somewhere. We'll see. Okay. Well, comedian Frank Skinner returns to the BBC with Frank Skinner's Opinionated on BBC Two Friday night. Each week, Frank is joined by two fellow comedians and a studio audience to unpick the week's most talked about news stories. This week's guests are, hurrah, Miranda Hart and Al Murray. I like Frank Skinner. I've seen him twice, live, actually. Oh, really? He was Where? I saw him in a play. He was in art. Oh, right. And he was excellent. He had the every woman in that audience just adored him. Because there's one scene where he started crying and you could hear, ah, <laughs> through the theater. And then he did Unplanned. The one with David Bedell, it'll never yeah. work. They did that live. And so at the oh. Shaftesbury Theater, just a live show. In my, oh, but it wasn't recorded for TV. 
No, it was just, they were just doing it oh, on okay. a stage. And I went and saw that because it was really cheap when I was, one night when I was there with a friend hmm. in 2001. So. Friday Night with Jonathan Ross on BBC One has guest Idris Elba from The Wire, Kiefer Sutherland from 24, and Gemma Arterton. Saturday kicks off with Doctor Who at 6.30 on BBC One in Victory of the Daleks. Can you guess what the monster will be this week, Chrissy? Might be a Dalek or Winston Churchill. (laughs) Yes, they're both in this one. Winston Churchill's using the Daleks, or is it the other way around? Dun, dun, dun. So war-torn London during World War II. So Stephen Moffat set the empty child doctor dances there. Captain Jack is somewhere in there. I wonder if we're going to see the back of his head at some point or something. That would be funny. I don't know. Probably not. No, but he's he's probably hiding. If he, we'll see. If he's doing timey wimey stuff too, who knows what's going on? This will be on later in the war. With poor old Jack. A Doctor Who Confidential will be shown on BBC Three immediately following the end of Doctor Who at seven fifteen. The remake of The Prisoner, starring Ian McKellen and Jim Caviezel, finally makes its UK debut Saturday night at ITV1. Rather than the two-hour compilations run on AMC last November, it will be presented as a weekly one-hour series in Britain. They weren't in a rush to see it, were they? I got a feeling they kind of buried it because they got the word that it wasn't very good. Uh, Even with good old Sir Ian. Yeah. Sunday, ITV1 has another Foils War titled Killing Time. Last week's mystery beat out Billy Piper in A Passionate Woman on BBC One, which continues tonight. Monday, ITV1's Joanna Lumley's Nile continues. She's bought the Nile. Wow. She's not that rich. Oh, okay. Channel 4 counters with Blitz Street, a documentary series presented by Tony Robinson to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the attacks on London. By the Germans, of course. A specially built row of terraced houses on a remote military base is subjected to wave after wave of high explosive bombs and incendiaries, similar to those dropped by the Luftwaffe, to illustrate the devastating impact of the bombing campaigns. Have you ever done the Blitz experience in London at the Imperial War Museum? It's kind of interesting. I've been to the Imperial War Museum. They have the trench experience for World War One and the Blitz for World War Two. I think I did. In World War Two, you're voice guided by... Some I say somebody who's urging you into the shelter and you sit in the shelter while it rocks and explosions go yes, off. Yes, 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 I have done that. And when that. you're led out the other side, you see um, this devastated street. You've gone in through a fairly normal street. It's pretty good. I love the Imperial War Museum. I've, I've been yeah, there Yeah, I've only been there times. once. Uh, a friend of mine took me on our the penultimate time I went to Britain. I hadn't done a lot of the museums of the South Bank and she said, oh, we've got to go to this one. And that was kind of yeah. cool. The Graham Norton Show on Monday on BBC One has guests Tony Collette, Billy Piper, and music from Scouting for Girls. Yeah, they were on before and I kind of liked them, but now I hear they've certainly hit on the United States, too. I have no idea who they are. They do pop songs. It's... I really like the group The Feeling, and so I don't consider them anywhere near as good as that in terms of their song craftsmanship, but I thought they were cute. They had a fun little hit song on Graham last year, but I guess they've starting to do real well in the United States. So I remember the Spice Girls. Boy, that dates me. Tuesday, Shameless, the original, continues on Channel 4. 
On BBC America This Week, Wednesday, it's the double feature of David Mitchell and Robert Webb comedies, that Mitchell and Webb look, and Peep Show. And they're also on Sunday night. That's my mom's latest discovery. She's really enjoying their sketch comedy. She's been taping it. They're funny guys, and we did a feature on them last week, so check it out if you haven't done it already. Friday night with Jonathan Ross and The Graham Norton Show are Friday. Saturday, it's the American debut of Matt Smith as Doctor Who in the 11th hour, shown in a special extended time slot, following a documentary, the Doctor Who, the Ultimate Guide. And they have been promoting the heck out of this. Did you see the ads in Entertainment Weekly? Yes. Ad upon ad upon ad. It was great. Oh, very nice. And Matt Smith and Karen Gillan and Stephen Moffat are in New York this week to promote the series. Some friends of mine are going to go see them at a screening. I was like, so jealous. Hmm. And uh, it should do pretty good. If you don't have BBC America, you will be able to buy it off iTunes starting on Saturday. So we should be able to talk about this next week. And I think we will. Yeah, I reckon we will. Monday, it's Top Gear. And the second and now final season of Survivors is on Tuesday. Sunday on PBS's Masterpiece Classic is the two-part adaptation of Small Island about Jamaicans immigrating to Britain after the war. Ryan will review it in a few minutes because I haven't seen it. The Discovery Channel continues the documentary series Life on Sunday. Showtime continues The Tudors starring Jonathan Rhys-Meyers. I saw the uh, Guardian singled out uh, Showtime's publicity department because they were talking about the life of Henry VIII and they used the number eight instead of V-I-I-I. They can go, come on, Americans can figure out which Super Bowls they are using Roman numerals (laughs) and Rocky movies. How come they can't do Henry VIII? So some dummy in Showtime is... Being mocked. I'm being lampooned. The uh, Independent Film Channel has the Johnny Vegas low-key comedy Ideal Wednesday and Friday. The sketch comedy series Wrong Door runs Saturdays and Tuesdays. On Adult Swim on Friday night has the Muddy Boosh at 1.30 a.m. The Sci-Fi Channel, the second season of the BBC's Merlin, continues on Friday night. Yeah, I watched it. It was really good. I because I've seen bits and pieces of mm-hmm. the uh, second season, and it's my chance to see it. And it's so funny that they're running it at ten o'clock, which is basically you know the cable watershed. You can you can say lots of words on FX that we can't even use in this podcast. And on the BBC, Merlin is a children's show that runs at six o'clock in the evening mm-hmm. on a Saturday. It's not doing quite as well as Stargate Universe, but it's it's pulling in an audience. Well, there's no DVD releases this week, so instead we'll do some reviews. Our first review is Desperate Romantics. This romp through 19th century art history and the loosely adapted story of the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood, the angry young men who were shaking up the British art scene in the 1850s, including Dante Gabriel Rossetti with Aidan Turner from Being Human. Mm-hmm. With hair extensions. Yes. William Holman Hunt, Rafe Spall, Timothy's son, and John Everett Millay, played by Samuel Barnett. It's based on the book by Franny Moyle and adopted by Peter Boker. This is no stuffy BBC costume drama, but a high-energy mix of sex, adultery, nudity, and dirty language with a little art appreciation thrown in. This was the happiest day of my life. Here I was, me, Fred Walters, a close acquaintance of the three most radical and celebrated painters of their generation, the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. It wasn't always like this. 
There was a time when they weren't considered fashionable. They weren't considered popular. They weren't even considered. But in spite of their faults, of which there were some, I always believed in them. Their enigmatic leader, Dante Gabriel Rossetti, a man whose full potential was often on the losing side in its battle with that other interest of the committed artist, the pursuit of beauty. John Millet, an artist whose modesty was the equal of his genius. And William Holman Hunt. He was a bit complicated. But of course, an artist is nothing at all without a subject, a model, a muse. First, they would have to find her. If you liked Russell T. Davies' version of Casanova, this series is very much in that vein. Now, you started watching it, right? I did. I watched an episode. There are six total, I believe, and didn't grab me enough to put aside anything else on the big stack of things I always have waiting to watch. You know those sexy, hunky guys Mm -hmm. in it? No. Really? I I know, and I I do like I thought that would have been been your thing there, because... I thought it would be too, but no. And lots of sex, and I just like the, the energy of it. It really did remind me a lot of Casanova with the uh, upbeat music. I mean, there's even a little caption at the beginning of the show to kind of say, you know, these guys had their way of interpreting reality, and this series is kind of like that, similar to that too. So people won't sit there and say, oh, you mixed things up, because they've compressed an awful lot of stuff mm-hmm. into a short time period. But I thought it was a good way of introducing these guys who I had not heard of. Tom Hollander's also in it. He plays their patron. Well, yeah, I like Tom Hollander a lot. I just watched him, and I did watch something. I watched Gracie, the biopic of Gracie Fields with Jane Horrocks, and Tom Hollander played her husband, so that was pretty good. Are they Americans? Hmm? Yeah, he was Italian, and Gracie Fields was British. Oh, okay. That's what I know. So that's Desperate Romantics. So we ran on BBC Two last summer, and I don't know if there's any plans to show it over here, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. And then there's Small Island... A young, ambitious Jamaican woman moves to gritty, ration-filled, post-war London and finds the mother country is not quite the land of opportunity she had imagined. It's based on the 2004 novel by Andrea Levy. Naomi Harris plays Hortense Roberts, and when we first meet her, she's a bit of a pill. And the rest? Where are the other rooms? There are no other rooms, Hortense. This is it. This is where I am living. Just this? You bring me all the way across the world for just this? Everybody live like this. There has been a war. Plenty of people live worse than this. Some have no roof over them at all. Look, see, we have all we need right here. The gas ring. That is our kitchen. Sink over there. Uh, table, chairs, dining room. And the uh, bedroom. Compact but efficient, no? And the lavatory? Downstairs, but... We have this if we need to. <laughs> Miss Sue, sorry, I, I forget it. Oh. You wash your cup in the same place you throw your. Well, I usually take it down to the toilet I when I. I cannot believe you bring me all this way to live like an animal. That you think so little of me. Listen here, Miss Iron Mighty, stick your nose up in the air. You wash your plate. Your vegetable on your backside in that basin too. And what you don't know yet, because you just come off a boat, you are lucky. One day, not 
No, but one day you will know that. There will be snow in hell before that day comes, Gilbert Joseph. Meanwhile, Ruth Wilson plays Queenie, who impulsively marries in order to remain in London and off her family's Yorkshire farm. Her husband, Bernard, played by soon-to-be Sherlock Holmes' Benedict Cumberbatch, is sent abroad during the war, leaving his invalid father in Queenie's care. She opens her house to soldiers stationed in London and soon meets Michael Roberts from Jamaica, who is now serving in the RAF and begins an affair with him. Because of all the flash forwards and backs, mostly to fill in Hortense's backstory, you have to kind of pay attention. And also, it's easy to confuse the Michael character, who's not only Queenie's lover, but Hortense has been pining for him all her life, and Gilbert Joseph, whose marriage of convenience to Hortense is so that they can both move to England. She basically pays for his passage because as a single woman, she can't go to England. But by sending him first and then being able to go and be with him, that she can go to England, which is her big dream. The good acting from the up-and-coming stars and the topic about mixed-race relations in the 1940s make for good television drama, and it's worth checking out this on Masterpiece Classics this weekend. So that's Small Island. So our feature this week is on Alan Davis. Yep, and listeners will remember that Ryan cornered me and asked me to write it last week on the podcast, but I, I was I need a week off every month. So. That's correct. I I agree. But this podcast is his baby. I'm just along for the ride, and a fun ride it is. But let me speak now of Alan Davis. What would you do if you were filling a leading role, a title character no less, and your top contender had no film or television experience apart from appearing occasionally on the small tube as himself, telling jokes? Well, you'd simply audition this man six separate times, all the while considering whether perhaps Rick Mayall, Angus Deaton, Nigel Planer, or perhaps Hugh Laurie would be a better choice. Such was the dilemma that the showrunners of the fledgling BBC One series Jonathan Creek faced when their original choice for the role, Nicholas Lyndhurst, turned down the part that David Renwick had been written with him in mind. Oh, really? Yes. They were stuck. The show's leading lady, Carolyn Quinton, had happily accepted her gift, which was the role Maddie McGellan written for her, while producers frantically searched for someone to play opposite her. Who could be Jonathan Creek, reluctant hero, solver of impossible murders, recoverer of priceless paintings, and reclusive genius with boffin tendencies and a general inclination to stay in at home? Well, what happened, of course, is that Alan Davis, the young six-time auditioner, was finally given the role that would make him a household name and lead to fame, fortune, and the Abbey National Bank spokesmanship. I first noticed him in 1995 during that series of How I Got News for You, Mm -hmm. and he made four appearances in the next couple of years, and so he was somebody who I recognized, and also he was a very funny guy. He was. At the time he became Jonathan Creek, he did have some television experience in the guise of his stand-up persona. He had majored in drama at Kent University and then moved to London where he couldn't land an audition or get an agent to save his life. And quite sensibly, 
and Steve Coogan did this too. He went into stand up just as a way to get himself out there on stage and get experience and get seen. Mm. He just took a community college class, much like the play Comedians that we spoke about a little bit recently. And he discovered he had a knack. He liked the adrenaline, didn't get nervous, got better as he went on. After he spent about three years working around the London stand-up circuit, he won the Time Out magazine's Best New Comic Award in 1991. And by 1996, he had made enough of a name for himself in comedy that he did appear as a guest team captain three times during the spring season of Have I Got News For You. He'd been a guest the year earlier, as you said, and did well. And Paul Merton took a very publicized break from the show. He sort of wanted the BBC to appreciate him more, he said. Well, he was so, doing the Galton and Simpson specials for ITV, yeah. right? Well, he said it was a little bit of a political thing, but he mm. appeared as a, he was a guest on Ian's team that first episode and then took the rest of the series off, the only one he's done that with. And the other team captains they chose were Eddie Azard for three episodes and Clive Anderson and Martin Clunes and Neil Morrissey co-team captained an episode. Well, but, at least in those days, they still had the stability of Angus Deaton being the right. presenter each week. Capitalizing on this new buzz, since he had been on Have I Got News For You and Room 101, he wrote a sitcom pilot in which he hoped to star and staged a reading of the script, inviting various people in the TV industry to come check it out. That pilot wasn't commissioned, but Alan did receive offers to audition for other upcoming television productions, including the one that led to another and another and another audition, before he convinced all the powers that be that he could carry a BBC One drama for a whole series and got Jonathan Creek. And I bought the box set of series one through four when it was released, which is now available at a fraction of the price I paid on amazon.co.uk. It's on sale for pennies on the pound this week, so get it if you want to get it. And there's a really good extra where he says he spent the night before with his train schedule and his bus schedule, figuring out how he was going to get down to the set. And then the next morning he was quite unprepared when a car showed up to carry him to the set, which is what the BBC had sent for him that day and the days to follow. So that was an introduction to BBC stardom. And he also said that he didn't really need to be on the set the first day. He just wanted to because he was so excited and enthusiastic. So he just stood around all day soaking in the experiences, talking to the director. And months later, he found out that the whole crew had been baffled by the shaggy-haired outsider that first day and wondering who he was. Well, they didn't a read-through or anything like no, that. No, they had a speculation that he was a spoiled, lazy bigwig son that was maybe being a prop hand and was being lazy not doing any of his job. So oh, wow. no one knew he was the star for a few days there. I remember back in 1997... Uh, you know, very often I put a tape into watch and I have absolutely no idea what to expect the first time. And even though it was 13 years ago, I recall as soon as Jonathan Creek started, in fact, the very first few seconds of Sanson's Danse Macabre, that I thought, hey, this looks good. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the cast list, Alan Davies, Carolyn Quentin, and Anthony Stewart Head. I was a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan at the time. And I have to say my expectations immediately rose. And only a few minutes in, I was hooked. Though, as I mentioned a while back, I completely failed to recognize Colin Baker as the first victim for several minutes. It's shameful to a diehard Doctor Who fan such as myself. I've been trying to ring you. 
Didn't I talk a lot of crap last night? So did you. But I accept your unconditional apology. Thanks. Oh, my God, what's he going to do to me? I think I fathomed it. What? How Hadley Shale was murdered. You're kidding, how? There's a number of things. They don't make any sense until you put them all together. Why was that rubber band on the bedroom floor? Why was the letter on the doormat? Why would someone fire bullets through the middle of a painting? Why would they? First, clear your mind of all preconceptions. This is more calculated and evil than we imagined. Oh, yeah, that was the one with the artist right. and the model. And yeah. And I've looked at it again today. And what's scary is watching these programs, which are, again, only 13 years old, how young everyone looks. Well, actually, Alan looks very young. Yeah. And I. I'm just pissing myself watching Anthony Head's American accent now. Well, he only did the pilot episode. He took off after that, so they recast his character with American Stuart Milligan. So, Is he really American? I, I think he is, yeah. He's got an odd accent. I just was listening. He did a whole series of Superman for radio, which I think I gave you a copy oh, of that's years right, ago. Yeah. He, he does a good Superman voice. Well, since 1997 and the start of Jonathan Creek, Allen has built a steadfast career tackling TV, bit of theater and stand-up, as well as highly regarded work as a panelist on TV shows such as The Unbelievable Truth and, most notably, QI, in which he is the only regular panelist and Stephen Fry's literal right-hand man. There have only been a few professional missteps and one monstrous personal mishap that made him the biggest tabloid fodder du jour in December of 2007. More about which later. So a great and relatively early leading role for him came as one of the title characters in Bob and Rose, which Ryan and I have talked about before. It also starred two actresses we've profiled in earlier shows, Jessica Hines and Leslie Sharp. Bob plays a gay man out to his friends, but closeted at the high school where he works, who meets a a woman named Rose late at night at a taxi stand, runs into her again. She sort of negotiates and works that out herself because she'd been low. He'd been nice. She thought, I want to be friends with him and sort of worked out how she could meet him again. But improbably falls in love with her and it's for keeps. And... This was written by a pre-Doctor Who Russell T. Davis as his follow-up project after the hugely popular Queers Folk. And I thought it was a good choice for Alan because apart from the change in sexual orientation from John in the Creek, who is forever unlucky in love with the ladies, Bob was very different than Jonathan Creek. Kinder, a bit more outgoing, but less clever. And I enjoyed following his and Rose's relationship The DVD of Bob and Rose is available in the U.S., has been for years. You can rent it from Netflix, and I would once again urge you to check it out if you haven't seen it. It's a really engrossing six-part miniseries. I'm reading The Writer's Tale right now, which is about Russell C. Davies and his very correspondence when he did the last two years of Doctor Who, but he talks a lot about creating Queer as Folk and Mm -hmm. Bob and Rose and the people that he knew that those were based on and the things that he drew from to write those characters and what he was wanting to say and things. And it's a very interesting, very thick book. But you learn a lot about how he creates things. Hmm. Well, for another project, soon after that, Alan decided it was time to play someone far less likable, an anti-hero of sorts, and accepted the part of the adulterous husband-slash-boyfriend, Russell Boyd, in a many-splintered thing. And this series ran just one 
series. Although it did actually make a series. I saw the yeah. pilot and I didn't know if it actually went to series or not. It went to series a lot later. It was a pilot and I think it was a couple years before they decided to Yeah, in the to pilot he's this. the married ad jingle writer who wakes up after a party with a strange girl in his bed and he quickly gets rid of her but the experience and the girl continue to haunt him. And we barely saw his wife in the pilot. Yeah. And from all appearances, he should stick with a new girl. So what happened in the series? Well, his, it was funny. His wife was just this impossibly glamorous, very mature lady. And she just didn't visually go with Mr. Shaggy Hair there. But I didn't like the series. I only watched bits of it. I thought there was some broad slapstick, quieter moment of angst were just him lying and scheming and engaging in acts of dishonesty in order to keep both his relationships going. Mm. And it didn't last it was over after six episodes ellen made a brief foray into theater too appearing with bill bailey at the edin fringe festival's production of the odd couple i tried to get in and see that but it was totally sold out but it didn't get very good reviews he played felix bill bailey played i mean you could have seen him as oscar too i suppose but no he was felix bill bailey was Oscar, and it didn't get re- very good reviews at all. But it was a bit of a stunt. It definitely solidified his friendship with Bill Bailey because Bill became Alan's best man when he got married a few years later. Oh. There were more parts for Alan, a lawyer in The Brief. Did you see The Brief? Saw an episode. Yeah, it was interesting. Cause yeah, he's, he's an ITV drama. He's about a lawyer's, and it right. was a lot to Perry Mason and uncovering whodunits, and his character has been saddled with backstabbing co-workers at his chambers, his adulterous girlfriend married yeah. to an MP, and a strange son living in Australia. Yeah, Alan said he didn't think people would accept him with the wig on his head, but it sort of worked, so it was all right. He did two years of that, and then he quit, right? Yeah, and it was just sort of like a special occasion thing more than a series. I think there were only eight episodes made. Mm. A guest role on Marple, a cast-off husband with custody of the kids in The Good Housekeeping Guide. And occasional returns back to good old Jonathan Creek. His career was taking kind of a new turn in 2003 because he joined Stephen Fry in the popular show QI. And I think he really is the co-face of QI. I mean, you can't think of that show without thinking of Alan. Oh, yeah. They the put right him on the Stephen. box of the DVDs, too. Yep. So he cheerfully accepts any of Stephen's gentle or not-so-gentle jibes, and he can give back as good as he's gotten. And he always gets the amusing sound of his buzzer. Right. He's appeared on every episode to date. The show, in which contestants are given points for interesting answers, as well as correct guesses. And heavily penalized for wrong ones. deducted heaps of point for blurting out wrong answers. How many moons does the Earth have? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. One moon which is made of cheese. Oh! So you lose ten. But it does. One. No. It's called the moon. (laughs) One of them. That's it. I rest my case. Wouldn't you love to have that as a ringtone, the uh, trap sound effect? All those bells and whistles going off? Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Saw Ellen as the perennial loser for the first few seasons before he learned to steer clear of traps and keep his trap shut. But whether the winner or loser, his quick wit, childlike enthusiasm, because in one episode, I don't know if you had seen it yet, but it was a G episode. No, so it was I haven't about seen gardens, and each of the contestants were given something 
of this historical value that had something to do with a garden and he was given a cane and he worked out it was a saw it was meant for a gentleman gardener to walk about the estate with and seeing a branch you could oh. whip the saw out of the cane and whack it off and so he immediately had to saw something and he ended up sawing a good hunk of the set just to get it working while Stephen was saying that's very expensive that's very rare be careful be careful and Alan saw it away well, he did find that hidden switch in the cane, turned it into a saw, and uh, worked it over there. The private Alan is something of an enigma to the journalists who interviewed him. I read a few different interviews spaced a few years apart in preparation for writing this. He's been found prickly and borderline surly to those who expect him to be that lovable imp from television. And then those who have interviewed him expecting the prickly surly version of previous interviews have found him to be very cheerful and forthcoming. In an interview just last fall, he admitted that there's truth in both observations. He does credit his dear friend and frequent QI competitor, Joe Brand, who had been a psychiatric nurse before turning to comedy in her 30s, with helping him by recommending an analyst that he ended up seeing for eight years. Prior to that, he admits he smoked a lot of weed, ended relationships badly, and was generally moody and miserable. Part of this was probably due to having a genuine comedian's temperament. Comedians, we've all heard, are unhappy off stage. It's a stereotype, but it's quite often true. I'm a clown, but I'm crying inside. Yeah. And partly, he thinks now, he discounted it for years, thought he should be over it, but just like his friend Eddie Azard, they both lost their mothers very early to cancer. They were both six. And now he describes it as something you really never get over because any other relationship, that lack of, sec- the loss of security at that young age just impacts every other relationship that you might develop as it goes on. And as I mentioned earlier, in late 2007, there was a brief but notorious blip in both the tabloids and the bigger daily sheets when Alan was caught on security camera tussling with what the papers described as a tramp, a fight that culminated when Alan pulled a Mike Tyson and bit the man's ear. Although, unlike the Tyson incident, the ear did remain attached to the head. It was life-imitating art, I thought, as the recent episode of Ricky Gervais' series Extra had featured Ricky's character Andy accidentally kicking little person actor Warwick Davis in the head. And that fictitious episode prompted the headline, TV bully kicks dwarf in head. And Alan's real-life escapade led to multiple versions of the headline, Jonathan Creek bites tramp. Oh, dear. And Alan insists the man was not a tramp, but a regular and obnoxious drunkard who had followed and shouted obscenities at him until he snapped. And Alan, by that time, had had numerous drinks under his belt, which had been consumed at a wake-like atmosphere because he and his companions that night had just been at the funeral of Verity Lambert, the renowned BBC producer who had commissioned Jonathan Creek. Alan, in fact, had delivered the eulogy at the funeral that day, so the results of the evening were the laughable headlines in the papers, Alan banned from returning to the Groucho Club, where the fight had occurred, just outside, and his embarrassment, and all about something that really wasn't actually that funny. The press in Britain can be really vicious. That's true. Well, today, Alan's married. He's a new father. Since the birth of his daughter Susie, he's been largely unemployed by choice, 
mentions he really appreciates that his job gives him the freedom to make that decision. He's just been bonding with his daughter, taking her to every movie matinee where children are allowed and watching quite serious films as he holds the baby and other babies scream because he reckons he'd be tossed out if he took her to a regular showing. And I saw Alan in 1999 doing comedy, and by that time he was a big star in the world of comedy, and just later that year he had planned to embark on a nationwide tour that would see him playing two-hour solo shows in 2,000 to 3,000-seat theaters. I quite like to go to India, but I'm a bit put off because I had a mate who went to India. And I said to him, how long did you go for? He said, three weeks. I said, were you ill? And he goes, only for a week. <laughs> a week? You're paid for leisure time, a week. <clears throat> and apparently not just, oh, a bit of a headache, don't feel so good, might stay in today. No, no, no. Bucket in out of both ends. <laughs> For a week. <laughs> That's just for a minute. I'm exhausted. I saw him at the comedy store and I was sitting in the front row. It was a treat and he had just agreed to show up and do 20 minutes with a whole lineup of other what they call gigging comedians who are still playing the circuit of smaller clubs. It was a cystic fibrosis benefit. And in fact, that was the night I saw one of my very favorite comedians, Milton Jones, for the first oh, time. Yes. Alan just ambled about the stage did a lot of improvising, worked rather blue, more than I was expecting, and was very funny, and told anecdotes that I can't really repeat here. <laughs> I've seen his stand-ups. I have Urban Trauma on tape. I thought Urban Trauma was fine. It wasn't something I'd find my watching over and over again, like I r return to Eddie Azard tapes every mm. few years and do it again. Well, Eddie's he's making very great entertainment spectacles that you want to see. And some of the other stand-up acts, once you've seen the guy's jokes, you've seen the jokes. Well, Alan did a big tour, as I said, in 99, and it was filmed all along the way. And he also would interview different comedians, both old-timers and the new folk along the way. And that was shown about a year later. That was stand-up with Alan Davies, right? stand-up with Alan Davis. And I've just posted it on my YouTube channel, so we can put a link to that. He was kind of embarrassed. There was an interview he did right before it came out, because in the intervening year since it had been filmed, he'd broken up with the girlfriend who featured prominently. Yes. In fact, he was a bit of a cad. He was talking about how he didn't like her that much and in an interview without her being there to defend herself. And so my friend JT and I referred to him as the cad for quite a while after that. But, but he interviews a lot of the requisite big names and stand-up performers yeah. there in Britain. He did. Bernard Manning which he chose to interview over having a curry. Because <laughs> Bernard Manning famously... He's a northern anti, comedian. Yeah, and then he did Ardell Hanlon and Harry Hill and Eddie Izzard. In fact, Eddie Izzard was about to play Wembley Arena for his first time, which wow. was a benefit for Prince Charles Children's Trust. And a good deal of the show is Eddie doing sound checks, and then Alan hops up on the stage and does some of Eddie's really early act So while Eddie runs around in the back to see what the view looks like. And then they actually show clips of both of them on a TV show in 1989 
which of course now is 21 years ago when the Gosh. show went out. It was 10 of them doing really early material. But they're so young. They're very young. Alan had short hair. And then you mentioned the Abbey National ads. Yep. For several years, he was the spokesperson for a bank called Abbey National. Maybe do these cutesy little ads. Yeah. I saw one in the movie theater just before a film. They showed him in the movie theater, too, over in the UK. I've got one here where he's uh, putting together a model somewhat unsuccessfully, and then he sits down with to read about the bank. Hello. What's this? P145H asterisk blob, curved retaining armature. It was a hook, not a curved retaining armature. What's wrong with hook? It's a nice word. That's better. Cash, egg, lump. Abbey National, because life's complicated enough. He made a lot of money for those things, but he also got a lot of criticism, too, for kind of selling out, didn't he? And He did. He had turned down a lot of ads, and his agent said, you really need to look at this because it is, and I quote, stupid money. And he said he couldn't turn it down, paid off his mortgage. So, But didn't it kind of hurt his street cred there for a while? Yep. He said it. he, he pretty anticipated it wouldn't. It did. Hmm. Well, I guess you can laugh all the way to the bank. Yeah, exactly. And that is my profile of Alan Davis. I think I've done him to death here, but I will add that there is a Alan Davis heckle. I have heard it on videos. It was made that night. I saw him at the comedy store. So really no Alan Davis show is complete until someone has made this heckle. And I want to know if you can guess what it might be. It's two words. You stink? No. I want, to doubt, I want to offer a prize if anybody can email and let us and tell me if they've seen Alan and know what the heckle is. And I just knocked something to the floor there. But. That's all right. <laughs> We're tearing apart our studio. Yes, if you know what, what Alan Davies gets heckled, or sure, you probably can Google it these days. It kind of takes the fun out of, out of competitions Two like words. this. Two words. Send it in to feedback at britishtvpodcast.com and you'll win a fabulous prize, I guess. Chrissy <laughs> oh, will send you something. I'll send you something. It'll be fabulous. And I'll let you know what it is next week if no one writes in. Okay. Or even if they do. When they do. Well, that's Alan Davies. QI, Jonathan Creek. Jonathan Creek is definitely available on DVD in this country. Worth checking out. And he's a funny guy. Next week, we're going to talk about television critic Charlie Brooker. Yay. That should be really fun. Meanwhile, you should go to our website, which is at www.britishtvpodcast.com. And there you can find... Headlines to this week's news, what's on TV this week, links to show notes, and an archive of our previous 27 shows. And you can read biographies all about us, or even listen to my dreaded BBC Radio 4 interview from several years ago. I've noticed I've got a lot of downloads of that this month. Oh, you poor people. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So no matter where you are in the world, pretty much, there's new Doctor Who, of course, uh, in Britain. Episode 3 is on in Australia, Canada, and America. We've got episode 1. So it's a Doctor Who universe. You guys can see what you think about the main titles. I hate them. I think the music's really bad. But if you like it, write it and tell us. Defend that main title music. However, the incidental music is fabulous. And I think we'll uh, play the show out here with the new Doctor's theme. It's not the title music. This is the incidental music they use when the Doctor's kind of in motion and doing stuff. And I think it's a great piece of music by Lily Gold. And I do enjoy listening to that quite a bit. So next week, I think we'll talk a little bit about Doctor Who as well. So enjoy your week. Thanks for listening. 